Thank you for joining us for the 539 Church Podcast. 539 Church is a new church in Goodyear Heights, Ohio, that's inviting friends into family. If you live in the Northeast Ohio area, we'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. For more information about us, including our service times and live stream information, check out the links in our show notes or visit us online at 539.church. That's F-I-V-E 39.church. Please take a moment to subscribe and share this podcast with a friend. Thank you, Nolan. Uh, I just got to be honest off the bat, uh, when I was growing up, we sang the song, I Exalt Thee a lot, and I thought they were saying, I salt thee. And so at lunch, I would be like, I salt thee. And so, yeah, I've, I've, I know what exalt means now, so Google that if you need to. Uh, but no, I know what you're thinking. Uh, the room's decorated. Everybody on stage is 20. Uh, this must be VBS, but I can assure you, this is regular church. Uh, we're a baby church, so sometimes we have some baby faces up here. Uh, but my name is Luke. If you don't know me, uh, my wife and I run the college ministry here. Uh, I'm 25 years old. That means I don't know the ancient language of cursive, and I've never read a newspaper. Uh, so I'm 25 from Gen Z. Come on. Uh, and uh, yep, so my wife and I, if you want to bring up a picture, we run the college ministry here. This is Noel. Uh, all. And uh, <clears throat> we've been married seven months. So our book on communication and problem solving is about to drop. So uh, if you want to pick that up, we're almost done writing that book. Uh, no, 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 no. In all seriousness, I show you this picture uh, because if I show you a picture of my wife or family, you'll listen to me more. That is statistics. Uh, so if you want to get your Bible out, we are wrapping up Ruth, uh, our series called Hindsight. Uh, my brother said, oh, you're batting cleanup, huh? I said, looks like it. So before we jump into Ruth chapter four, Pastor Ryan last week, he left us off on a sweet cliffhanger. Uh, I'm not gonna go over the whole book of Ruth. You can listen to our podcast. Um, But the last verse in chapter three, uh, we kind of see Ruth in this limbo phase. She's waiting. Uh, Naomi tells her, uh, she said, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So remember, In chapter three, she goes down to Boaz on the threshing floor. She lays at his feet, kind of weird. She asks him to redeem her. Would you redeem me, uh, our land? Would you marry me? Would you protect me? And he says, maybe. He says, maybe. He says, we need to check with the other redeemers and we'll kind of get into this in chapter four. But uh, if you're a visual learner like me, I need to put some faces to the names of these characters because it's like Ruth, Naomi, Elimelech. They're just, I don't know who they are. Uh, so I have pictures of them. These are actual pictures. If you want to bring up Ruth and Naomi, uh, this is how I view Ruth. She's tough. She's uh, been through a lot. She, remember, Ruth and Naomi are both widows. They've come from Moab, which is a, a pretty big hike. They've come back to Bethlehem. Uh, they're trying to figure out how to feed themselves. They're trying to figure out what kind of jobs they need to get. They're trying to figure out who's gonna marry them because they're both kind of like, they got no money. And so they're trying to figure out all this stuff. And so I view Ruth as tough. She's worked hard. Uh, chapter one says she worked a full day and took a short lunch. So if you're like that 45-minute hour lunch guy, Take advice from Ruth, take a short lunch. Uh, And Naomi, she's just kind of this old woman at this point. She's wise, she's loving, she's taking care of Ruth. She's giving Ruth good advice. Marry the rich guy, you got it. Uh, So she's kind of been the words of wisdom for Ruth. And then Boaz, this is our guy. This is main player number one uh, in chapter four. This is Boaz. Uh, If you're new here, that's the guy that leads our church. That's our senior pastor. So uh, that's Pastor Mike. 
but I think the text actually says that Boaz was a little bit older at this point. So if you'll bring up, this is old Boaz. Uh, that, those pictures were actually in the same week. So he lost all his hair in one week. Uh, he was a youth pastor at the time. You'll have to ask him that story. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, jokes aside, let's dig into uh, chapter four. If you're using the Bible in front of you, uh, it's ch- uh, page 210. Um, and if you're on the Bible app, we are using the ESV. I'm gonna read from the ESV. That's the extra spiritual version. Um, so verse one, it says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took 10 men of the elders in the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one to no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And the man said, I will redeem it. So Boaz is kind of running this outside court. If you can picture it, he's in the middle. Uh, He doesn't look like Pastor Mike, just gonna get a a better version of Boaz in your mind. He's got 10 uh, elders on the left. He says, sit down, they sit down. Redeemer comes over. He says, hey, bro, you sit down here. Naomi is getting old. She's got no husband. She needs redeemed. Would you like to marry uh, Ruth? They're kind of a package deal at this point and take over their land. Uh, uh, We'll kind of get into what this whole kinsman redeemer looks like in a minute. But Boaz is running this outside court and he says, hey, would you like to redeem the land? You have first dibs. Uh, He's kind of the redeemer first in line. And he doesn't even think about it. He's like, absolutely. Uh, I'll add it to the portfolio. Uh, Be a little 20, 30 acre lot. You got it. I will absolutely redeem that. And as this whole scene's kind of going on, uh, I have this, I just kind of started laughing, picturing, uh, where's Ruth? What is, where is Ruth at? Uh, I, I guess she's maybe in the corner. She might not even be here. I kind of view her over here, uh, sitting down. Her whole future's getting decided, who she's gonna marry, where she's gonna live, what her future job's gonna be, and she has no control. Uh, Ruth has no control over this situation. And the lesson here is sometimes in life, we just watch. Do you ever feel like your life is being decided by not you? Uh, You're just kind of going along and making the best decisions that you can make, and it seems like it's just not up to you. It's like your boss controls you at work, your family controls you at home, uh, the kids dictate your schedule, and the last time you made a decision, you were 20. Uh, And so sometimes we just watch. And this is kind of high stakes. I mean, it's funny. It's kind of like this outside court, whatever. But for Ruth, this is everything. This is who she's going to marry. It's kind of a big deal. We want the the good looking guy. Uh, What job she's going to get because whoever takes over their land, she'll work the company that they kind of bring in and uh, where she's going to live because this guy could uproot her whole entire life. And she's in the corner watching. And it challenges this, uh, this phrase that we like to say, uh, I got this, I got this. Uh, we live in a day and age where, uh, guys, if something breaks in your house, you have a plumbing issue, right? Who are you calling? No one, you're not calling the plumber, you're gonna fix it yourself. And so you get down there, you get your wrench and your wife's like, have you ever done this before? You're like, yeah, 20 times. So you're down there wrenching and you break it uh, because I got this. Uh, but this is kind of the mentality that we live with. It's, well, I mean, I'm grown. Uh, I make 
I make decisions. I handle my money. I handle uh, the retirement fund. I handle my family. I'm a man. I got this. And what this book challenges is this uh, idea that we live in of if you make good decisions, good things will happen to you, which is just kind of the, the, the world we live in. If I, good people make good decisions, they have a good future. Bad and dumb people make bad decisions, they have a bad future. And this isn't the case here. Uh, Ruth has literally made every single decision that she could possibly make right. She's done everything right. She's worked hard. She's cared for others. She's, uh, chapter three says that she could have married a young guy, but she didn't. She waited uh, so she could redeem her family. She was patient. Uh, and at the end of the story, we get to chapter four and two dudes are deciding what happens to Ruth. And I'm reading this and I'm like, it's just weird. It, it challenges the, the idea that we got this because Ruth's done everything right and it still isn't up to her. Let's keep reading uh, verse five. This is where it gets weirder. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also will acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. So now we have this main player come in and we're gonna call him redeemer number one. It's kind of like bachelor number one. I don't even know what that's from. It's the will of fortune, I don't know. But, uh, and uh, so we have redeemer number one. He comes in and in modern terms, he has dibs on uh, the land of Naomi and the ability to redeem uh, the widow. It's, he's the closest relative. So view it this way. I'm married to Noel, remember all? Uh, I'm married to Noel. If I die, my, uh, one of my three brothers who's not married would marry Noel. He would kind of take over uh, my right as the husband. Uh, it's kind of weird, but this was kind of God's way of taking care of widows, making sure uh, a woman who couldn't provide was taken care of. And so Elimelech died. She was married to Naomi. Uh, the closest relative is bachelor redeemer number one. He has dibs. So he comes along and he says, you got it, I'll redeem it. But then something weird happens. Then Boaz goes, oh, by the way, you're gonna get Ruth too, the Moabite woman. And that's who you'd actually have to marry because Naomi and Ruth are kind of a package deal at this point because they're family. And the redeemer goes, I'm good. Um, and my first question is like, well, why? Okay, why was he like in one verse, he's like, I will redeem it. Next verse later, I will not redeem it. It's kind of like when you're going to a party and you're super excited and then you find out they're going and then you're like, yeah, I'm good. Uh, that's kind of the vibe change here. It's like, yeah, I'll redeem it. Oh, she's going, I will not redeem it. Like he changes his mind very quick. Um, and so it starts to ask this question, how much does redemption cost? What is this gonna cost this guy if he decides to, to take this deal? In, in Deuteronomy 25, you don't have to flip there. I'm just gonna read a couple of verses real quick. This is where God initially sets up uh, this system of redeeming. I think this kind of gives some clarity of what's happening. So, so lock in here. It says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies, that's Elimelech, he died and has no sons. The wife of the dead man, remember this is Naomi, the old lady, but Rosie the Riveter, Ruth, she's kind of locking in the, 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 uh, the role here as the widow. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. 
And the first son whom she bears shall succeed the name of the dead, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gates of the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name. So what this is explaining is this is not the law. This is just a duty that the guy's responsible. So redeemer bachelor number one, he doesn't have to marry Ruth. It's his decision, but it's kind of his duty, his obligation. Then it gets really funny says uh, in verse eight of Deuteronomy 25, then the elders of his city shall call him and speak to him. They'll say, bro, what, what happened? And he'll say, I did not wish to take her. I don't wanna marry her. I don't find her attractive, whatever it may be. It says, and then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, remember outside court. And it says she can spit in his face. That's Bible. I didn't write it, God did. Uh, so she can spit in his face and be like, you dog, like this is your duty. And he, but remember, he doesn't have to. It's just the duty of the guy. And so he's kind of weighing all these options. He would definitely know Deuteronomy 25. He would know his obligation and he decides against it. He's like, uh, it's, gonna, it's gonna mess up my inheritance. And so for whatever reason, uh, this is what he says in back to Ruth. This is why he says he doesn't wanna redeem her. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. And so this is where love starts to creep into this story. This is where uh, God is kind of writing uh, a story of redemption. And there's no secret here, we'll get to it, but Jesus is kind of gonna show up as a metaphor for Boaz, and we'll get to that in a minute. But this is where love starts to, starts to get into the story. And one guy defined love as how much it costs the giver. So if you watch The Office, what does Michael Scott say uh, at Christmas time? I love you this many dollars worth. That's how you can show someone you love them at Christmas. Uh, but love is how much it costs the giver. So redeemer number one, it's gonna jack up his inheritance. You almost can't blame the guy. I mean, he might have three kids. See the pie chart? Three slots for his three kids. If he marries Ruth and takes on all this stuff, he'd have to divide it up a lot more. So he's like, hey, I'm good. And so this kind of brings Boaz onto the scene. So we'll see what happens with Boaz. Verse nine. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malan. Also Ruth the Moabite, just pause real quick. I've read the word Moabite like 10 times. Doesn't it sound like, like a dental issue? Like if you went to the dentist and he's like, bro, you got Moabite. You're like, shoot. <laughs> so I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman, Ruth, who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Epaphratha, that's the city they're in, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Ruth and Boaz might be like the biggest will they, won't they love story of the Bible. It's like for three chapters, I'm like, dude, just like kiss her or something. Like, it's getting boring. And so uh, he finally gets the girl. Uh, the romance is starting to fly. The sparks are flying. He looks at her uh, and he says uh, a really, really romantic line. He says, yep, I'll buy her. <laughs> and you're like, what? And so like the, the love that's coming into this story is peculiar. It's a different kind of love. 
It's a love that really doesn't make sense to me. So I grew up, love was high school musical. So if you know Troy and Gabriella, this was it. It was like, they were kind of like, he was a jock, but he was also singing. And you were like, this dude's cool. And uh, so they were love. And then the notebook came out and that just changed the game. It was like, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. And you were like, oh. Uh, and uh, some of you older folks, you know, might know this guy. This is uh, Tom Cruise, but it's Jerry Maguire. And what does he say? This is the line right here. He says, you complete me. Oh, what a line. And then uh, going all the way back, this is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. This is George Bailey. And uh, what does he say to his wife? He says, do you want the moon? I'll get you the moon. I'll just lasso it up and bring it down here. And so this is how we grew up with love. It's kind of cute. It's kind of romantic. It's funny. It's like, they're good looking. I mean, George Bailey's what, 6'5"? And I'm like, what, 6'2"? So uh, it's just a little, well, come on, guys. And uh, so it's just a different, like, it's, it's superficial, and so what Boaz is doing is he's showing sacrificial love, not superficial love. And when we view love in this way, I'll buy her becomes like the most loving possible thing that he could do. Uh, because he's not looking at her and he's like, wow, you got great hair. He's kind of like, hey, I'll ruin my life so you can have a better one. That's what he's doing. He's giving up everything. He's giving up his money, his inheritance, the way that his life has been going this way and marrying Ruth is going this way. And as we kind of redefine uh, what love is, that's where Jesus's love kind of starts to make more sense. It's like, oh, wow, he died on a cross. He paid the, 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 the utmost price of his life to buy us back from sin. And so as much romance as I want to put in this story, it's just not there. It's just not there. He doesn't give her a sweet song of Solomon line where he like compares her teeth to sheep or something. I don't know. But he, uh, he, he, he buys her. He says, yeah, I'll, I'll take that burden on my load. I will change the course of my life to give Ruth a better life. So it asks this question, why does Boaz redeem Ruth? Why? What, what would make him wanna do that? Uh, the redeemer, I mean, as much as he could be a dog in this story, it's like redeemer number one comes onto the scene and he's like, yeah, I don't, like, I don't even really know the woman. I don't, I don't wanna ruin my whole life to marry her. And they're like, okay, that's fine. And Boaz is like, well, I'll do it. And so... Why does he redeem Ruth? Because he loves her, because he loves her. And he wants to give her the most fulfilling life that he can while also sacrificing his life. Remember, love is how much does it cost the giver? How much does it cost Boaz to do this? It costs a lot. Let's wrap this story up. Verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, Ruth, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap and became his nurse. That's not what you think it means. It's not weird. She's just a nanny. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashan. Nashan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. 
And we can say one of the things uh, that you can't often say in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, they all lived happily ever after. Boaz gets the girl, Ruth gets redeemed, Naomi gets restored with a grandson, and they all live happily ever after. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. They give us kind of these weird names. They bring up Rachel and Leah. They bring up Tamar and and Judah and Perez. And basically, we're not going to get into all this, but what Rachel and Leah is showing us is kind of, uh, it starts to make these genealogies make sense. So when we're going Salmon, Boaz, Aminadab, oh, by the way, if you're a mom and you're trying to like give your kid a, a, like a Bible name that no one has, but also like cute and trendy, uh, Aminadab's up for grabs if you want that. Uh, I don't know any of them. I guess you call them Am. I don't know, whatever. Uh, so Rachel and Leah start to make these genealogies make sense because they're looking back and they're saying, hey, Rachel and Leah are who started this whole thing. They're the ones who gave birth to Jacob. They started this chain of Israel, uh, of, of all these people who are going to lead us to the king, right? And then they bring up Tamar and Perez, which is a crazy story. If you got time later, read that story. It's wild. Uh, but what this is explaining is basically uh, the messiness that God puts in his lineage, uh, and he does it very intentionally, but he also does it because uh, if you were gonna put uh, clean people in his lineage, there wouldn't be anyone there because we're all pretty jacked up in a way. And so uh, I was talking to a friend and he was saying, when you look at these genealogies and Matthew one kind of has a longer one, you're looking at these names and you're like, uh, murderer, uh, murderer. Um, yep, she uh, was a prostitute. Uh, yep, she definitely didn't do anything God told her to do. Uh, yep, he did the opposite of what God told him to do. Uh, murderer, there's another one. Uh, and uh, it starts to get weird. And Jesus is writing kind of this overall redemption story with uh, messed up people, uh, jacked up people, uh, people who were down and out, people who had, uh, one pastor would say, a bad past, a kind of boring, bleak uh, present, and going to have a jacked up future. Uh, And not to uh, be, I guess, Debbie Downer, but that's kind of some of our stories. It's kind of like, yep, the past was rough, the current is not much better, and the future's looking bleak. And Jesus is like, those are my people. And we're like, amen. Uh, So uh, that's kind of what Jesus is getting at or uh, the writer of Ruth is getting at with these people. He's saying, man, look at all these uh, jacked up people Jesus uses in his story. And so as we kind of close off with uh, hindsight, looking back, uh, this is where God starts to back up. And he's like, hey, sometimes hindsight or looking at these stories is big picture. And uh, if you're like me, you love the details. You're like caught on them. You're like going back four years and nine days and four hours and you're like, this one moment of my life changed the whole trajectory forever. And God's kind of like, no, it didn't. Uh, It's big picture. And so he's seeing big picture and uh, Ruth actually in the book of Ruth, it's about Ruth, she becomes kind of supporting cast. And the book of Ruth no longer is about Ruth. God is writing a bigger story using these people to kind of explain to us the big picture of redemption. And so in this story, they lead us to King David. Uh, Their baby's name is Obed. Don't name your baby that, it's weird. Father Jesse, Jesse fathered King David. Uh, If you know your Bible at all, uh, King David, uh, if you don't know your Bible, it's kind of like me. I don't even know how I got up here, Uh, but uh, (laughs) serious. And uh, uh, King David, he kind of protects Israel. He becomes a king of the people. Remember when we started this book, they were in uh, the era of the judges where the nation of Israel didn't have a king. They kind of were just 
doing it. They were like, I'm gonna shoot you. They're like, okay, whatever, that could be right. And so they had no laws, they had no structure, they had no king. And so this cute little book tucked in the middle of the Old Testament is God giving us promises. And what God does is he promises the nation of Israel, I am going to take care of you. I am going to give you a king. I'm gonna give you, uh, the Bible calls David a king that has a heart just like God's heart, a heart after God's. And he says, I am sending you King David through this lineage of broken, messy people. And after King David, 27 generations later, we get Jesus Christ. The savior of the world comes through just this cute little book in Ruth, these jacked up people, these messy people, these broken people, these people with um, a, a bleak future and a tough past. And God starts to back up and write this big picture redemption. And he's like, hey, the book of Ruth's not about Ruth. It's, it's, it's not about Ruth. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus saving his people. And he's using Ruth and Boaz in that story to write a story. So when God promises, he promised to send a redeemer, and he did. He sent Jesus Christ for us and for you. And if you've been here a while and you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's simple. It's telling Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need saved. I need help. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, Some of you might know who Toby Mac is. He was kind of on the cutting edge of making Christianity cool uh, in the early 2000s. We're still getting there. Uh, We're like, cool's here, Christianity's here. It's just the truth. Uh, But Toby Mac was a Christian. uh, He did Christian rap. For some of you older people in the room, I'm still trying to work my head around that myself. Uh, But he did Christian rap, and he he was cool in the early 2000s. And a couple years ago, he lost his son uh, to overdose. And that's where his life probably took a turn. And so he's millionaire, top of the world. He's making millions of dollars while also serving Christ. It's like, how is that possible? Uh, And he uh, loses his son. And some of you in the room might know what loss feels like. Uh, Experiencing loss, especially to something like drug overdose, it makes your world just a little bit darker. And Toby Mack, he would say, man, I still laugh, but I don't laugh as hard. And I, I can still have a good time, but not as good of a time. And so a couple years ago, he did this video on how to deal with grief. And I remember being like, this is gonna be really good. Toby Mac's cool. He's got a cool hat on. And uh, they ask him how to deal with grief. And he gives the grandma answer. He says, uh, uh, hold on to a promise of God. And I'm like, cool, like heard that one. And then he says something very peculiar, peculiar that I think about often, especially in dark times for me and tough times. He says, hold on to a promise of God but make sure you're holding on to something God actually promised you. And what God promised is that he would send a redeemer. Uh, The whole Old Testament is him saying, hey, just guys, just wait, he's coming. Jesus is coming. He's gonna save everybody. He's not just gonna save uh, a few people. He's He's gonna die for the whole world. He's gonna do it all. He's gonna redeem us. He's coming. See, Jesus never promised us that we would be super healthy. He never promised you that you would have a ton of money. He would never promise you that no one in your family would would leave. He never promised us that we would uh, have a nice house with a nice 401k and a nice car. And he just didn't promise that. He promised us that he would not leave us and he would not forsake us. And in this story of Ruth, it's God's promise to us saying, I love you guys. I care about you guys. And I'm going to send a redeemer. Charles Spurgeon was a pastor in the late 
uh, 19th century, and he uses this metaphor of short and sweet and simple. Jesus is our glorious Boaz. How much does it cost the giver to buy Ruth back? It cost Boaz everything, changed everything for him. Why did he do it? Because he loved her. Because he said, this is who I wanna marry. This is what I'm gonna do. The Bible gives this amazing metaphor of Jesus being a groom and us being his bride. And us being kind of an ugly bride, like didn't wear a nice dress, didn't do makeup, got a lot of zits, like kind of ugly, right? And Jesus, the perfect groom, like perfect. And he's like, yeah, I wanna marry them. Not because he has to, like the redeemer number one would have, his obligation, but because he wanted to, because he came down, he said, I'm gonna come down and save them because I want them to be in heaven with me. Jesus is our glorious Boaz. Ephesians 1, we'll kind of lay in the plane here. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, it says, man, I can't even see that far. It says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, Jesus. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Uh, David Crowder sings a song called, Oh, How He Loves, classic. And the best line in that song is, if grace was an ocean, we are all sinking. And what this word lavish means is it's like, you know that uh, meme with uh, James Franco where he's kind of like sprinkling it on? Yeah, it's not that. It's kind of like dunked and dunked and dunked and dunked and dunked with grace. That's kind of what he does. Hey, you messed up, I forgive you. Oh, you messed up again, still forgive you. Oh, you knew what you were doing and you still chose to do it anyway? Yeah, I forgive you. That's what lavished means. It's just like grace that makes no sense. It's like, I wouldn't save me. And so as we're defining love in the book of Ruth, how much does it cost the giver? Romans 5 uh, paints us a beautiful picture. It talks about, hey, if I was a good man, I would die for another good man. Hey, he's, he's a good guy. I'll jump in a train for him. I'll jump in front of a train for him, whatever, or my family. And then it says a great guy, he would risk his life for a stranger. He would uh, go in and uh, he would like maybe go into a burning building and save people that he didn't even know. That's a great person. We would see that on the news. Then it says, God shows his love different that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he says, man, I love them. I'm gonna buy them back. I'm gonna buy them back. Let's pray. God, thank you for purchasing us back from our own sin. God, I know it cost Jesus his own life. God, thank you for sending him. God, I pray for everyone in the room uh, who does not know you. God, that you would speak to them. God, you would lead them to you. God, it's simple. Grace is free. Thank you for that. Thank you that I can't earn it. Thank you that you just gave it to us. God, I pray that everyone in this room would accept that gift. God, thank you for your promises, that you promised us that you wouldn't leave us and you wouldn't forsake us and you would send us a redeemer, Jesus. Thank you. God, as we wrap up tonight or wrap up today uh, with this song, God, would you just help us to see you, help us to worship you, help us to see what grace really is, the magnificent, crazy, insane grace that you gave us. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing one more song?